Forbes Books presents Entrepreneur Rx with Dr. John Schufeld, helping healthcare professionals own their future. Hello and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx. My name is John Schufeld and I'm thrilled today to have a guest of John Paul Tutela. Dr. Tutela is a board-certified plastic surgeon. He has offices in New York and New Jersey. He's been featured in places like the Daily Mail and Reader's Digest, and he became the kind of the go-to plastic surgeon in the country after one of the cast members of Jersey Shore had a mommy makeover from him. John, I mean, how often do you have to say that? John, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. So before we talk about how you literally became elevated to this to this stature, give us a little bit about your background. You know, I read about you, and this is really interesting. You have three generations of physicians that you're in your family. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, so I grew up in uh, northeastern New Jersey. My grandfather uh, was the first one to go into medicine. Um, and coming up, uh, no, actually just maybe two or three years ago would have been 80 years of uh, the Tutela family delivering uh, medicine in, in New Jersey. And he was a general practitioner. And back then, general practitioners also operated. They would do appendectomies and forcep deliveries. So he uh, also, you know, performed surgery as well. Uh, his son, my father, Rocco Tutela, was a, a plastic surgeon, um, and you know, was kind of my inspiration to kind of go into the field. I, I think I wanted to be a plastic surgeon before I even knew uh, what it was. You know, I just wanted to do whatever Dad did. In my generation, actually, my two—I have two brothers. Um, and they're both surgeons as well. So the three of us uh, went into medicine and, and all of us uh, perform surgery. One of them does eye surgery. The other one is a general surgeon and, and I'm a plastic surgeon. That, that is, I mean, that has to be, you have to be one of the few families in the U.S. who have three generations, really all of surgeons. Where did your grandfather go to medical school? I, I have such an interest in this. Sure. He went to uh, medical school at uh, Loyola. And then my father went to medical school in Bologna, Italy, uh, and uh, and I went to medical school in um, New Jersey Medical School in Newark. When your dad did plastic surgery, now, so I've been in medicine for I don't know, I left graduate from left graduate from medical school in '86. Yeah. He must have been one of the pioneers of plastic surgery. Your father, uh, you know, he was he was definitely you know early on in in the field, but there were definitely um, a generation or two of of you know, the, the pioneers of the, of the, of the field that really kind of brought it as a forefront as its own specialty. Uh, but certainly, you know, he did a lot of things that were very, you know, early on in the field, um, you know, with cosmetic surgery, uh, and a lot of reconstruction as well. That is, that is interesting. Now you, it looks like you did the, was it five plus two when you were doing it? Five years of general, two years of, uh, plastics? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, three years of plastic surgery. My, year that I graduated or started that um, training was actually the first year they mandated all plastic surgery residency uh, be changed to three years of a dedicated plastic surgery. So it was five and three. Wow. And now, so I have some, you know, I have some mentees who've done, and now there's straight plastic surgery residencies, right? Are they six years, but it's basically yes. a year general and five years. Yeah, interesting. That would have saved you a few years, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would that that certainly would have gotten you out in the workforce a little sooner. The combined programs are all 
I think six years now, and there's kind of a, a mix of um, how many years are dedicated to plastic surgery. It has to be at least three. Uh, some of them uh, try and get a hold of their residents earlier and earlier, so they're doing more and more uh, just plastic surgery. Interesting. You know, it's funny. I was telling Joe, um, the moderator of all this, I never even considered plastic surgery in medical school, and, and I don't even know why because it would be such a cool field. But it never even crossed my radar, probably because I didn't, you know, know anybody who did it, and certainly didn't have a father who did it. So it's really interesting. You know, that very early introduction to such a, you know, to what became your life's, you know, your lifelong career. Yeah, sure. I, you know, um, I'm so grateful to have the the influence uh, that I did. And it's interesting too. my father uh, having, you know, uh, three sons that went into medicine, you know, never really pushed it on us at all. You know, uh, always just said, you know, whatever you want to do, just make sure that you work hard at it, you know, that you put in the time and effort. I think it kind of just rubbed off a little bit more by example uh, that we kind of wanted to be doing what he did. That's excellent. You know, usually it's exactly right. Usually when you push you, when you push kids into it, it's the last thing they end up wanting to do. But if you just right. say, hey, it's here if you want it. And uh, and they're like, yeah, of course I want it. This, that's really cool. All right. So I've got to ask you this. And you probably asked this millions of times. So in 2016, somehow Snooki came to you. T- tell us that that had to be a hysterical story. How did that happen? Um, you know, she just reached out to me. Uh, we had a mutual friend that had had surgery from me uh, before. She had a little bit more surgery. It was a breast and tummy, but she had a wonderful experience. Um, and when she, you know, found out that uh, Nicole or, or Snooky was uh, looking to have uh, surgery for a, a mommy makeover and, you know, some cosmetic breast surgery, she pointed her in my direction. They, they both came to the office, uh, you know, and it just, uh, you know, kind of took off naturally from there. No, and you also did, I, I always used to laugh, I used to do my son, I'd lift up my shirt and say, look, you know, look on the situation. You also yeah. did surgery on uh, uh, Mike Sorrentino as well, or, or maybe uh, not surgery, you did, yeah. you did something on him. Yeah, yeah, so, the, you know, he was referred also then now from uh, Nicole after she had a great experience. Uh, uh, Mike's um, fiance at the time uh, or a girlfriend at the time, and then they got engaged, um, wanted to have some, uh, breast, uh, breast augmentation. Uh, so she came to me, that's when I met, uh, Mike, um, and I started doing some injectable, um, you know, just Botox and kind of skincare stuff, uh, for Mike as well. And they're, they're great. They're wonderful to have in the office. So sweet and kind and, uh, insightful in so many different ways. Um, they're really just a, a great group. That's, uh, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I've, I've heard from my plastic surgery friends and you'll have to give me your own experience with this, but the key, one of the keys to plastic surgery is knowing who not to operate on. Is that, is that still ring true? Sure. Absolutely. You know, I think it's, it's a challenge, you know, because sometimes the red flags are not necessarily, um, you know, shouting at you. Uh, But one of my mentors, you know, always said, listen to your staff. Uh, because a lot of times people's personalities are very different when they're in front of the doctor compared to when they're, you know, kind of interacting with your staff. Uh, so absolutely, when you get those red flags, uh, you know, you got to find a way to kind of uh, gently back out of a back out of a situation. You know, it's funny. For about ten years, I owned a um, kind of a cosmetic sort of practice where we did we had nurses and did injections and all the laser stuff and. I'd always, and I do some of it myself, but very little, but because there's always rang in the back of my head, like, 
A, do you really want to be doing this? And B, do you really have the sixth sense of knowing who not to do things on? And the, a few right. times I'm like, oh, I should have listened to my gut. It must oh, yeah. be harder to get out of it once you kind of once you get into it. In other words, once you have the interaction with the person and you sit down with them and then all of a sudden the red flags go off. What red flags do you look at? Because I think this has to be an art. To be truly honest, I've, I've been very lucky uh, in my practice uh, with my patients. Probably where it's actually come up the most is with injections. Uh, you know, they, they have very, very high expectations of what their, you know, issue is. Uh, you know, a lot of times they're hyper-focusing on something and making something such a huge deal that they're upset about something on their face, something that some other surgeon did, which is always another red flag when they're very upset at somebody else. And, you know, when they're kind of blowing it out of proportion, it's kind of when you start to take a step or two back and realize, wow, this thing, which is, you know, a millimeter off, they're making it seem like, you know, their life is ruined over it. Uh, then you start to realize, wow, how can I ever make this person happy? Maybe you'll try to just do as little as possible, um, you know, so you're not committing too much. Um, and then, you know, if they come back and they want more, the phrase that I've used in the past is, you know, I, I don't know that I can make you happy, you know, and it's just as, as simple as that. Yeah, so it's, I think the problems are deeper than your skin. Is yeah. one of my favorite. Yeah, I, I can only go skin deep, and I think yours are, are probably deeper. You know, it's really one thing about plastic surgery. I think that's so interesting. I was speaking to a dermatologist who was very well regarded, Lily Talakub, and she mentioned this, and it struck me is that you guys have to be very entrepreneurial because I think the vast majority of people coming out of plastic surgery is probably either go into a practice or open their own practice. Where did you learn this? Because then. I've spent some time on your website. I've spent some time researching you. You're clearly entrepreneurial. Where, how did you learn that? You're absolutely right. A, a lot of plastic surgeons end up on their own. Uh, that's something in medicine that is not really talked about for other practitioners, which I think is a shame. You know, private practice and solo practice in, in every field used to be what everybody did. You know, the reality is in all of this training, and I was just talking about it uh, with uh, some people in the operating room yesterday, throughout all of this training, you know, four years of medical school, I did five years of general surgery, another year, you know, in a basic science lab, three years in plastic surgery, not one moment of all of those years and hours of training were dedicated to teach a doctor how to run a practice. Not even the first thing. Right. You're not even taught how to bill for a procedure. It's almost uh, ridiculous that through all that, all that training, you're not even taught like how do you recoup any money for, for doing those operations or, or any sort of billable procedure or just seeing a patient. You, you know, you, and it, and I really think it's a shame. And so, you know, I always, I guess, I had a sense. Just again, I had my father. He had his practice. He was a solo practitioner. You know, my plans were to 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 join him um, and and just you know, I guess take over his practice. Uh, that did not come true. He he passed away when when I was still in general surgery training. Um, but I knew that I wanted a setup like that. You know, I wanted to uh, have my own office. You know, not really uh, have anybody else to answer to. But in the same way, you know, obviously you're answering to your patients. 
um, you know, be able to build a practice um, and an experience for my patients that I had complete control over. And the mo- I felt just like the more control I had, the more I can kind of, um, you know, build that patient experience from the moment they call in to, you know, post-procedure, um, you know, check-ins and stuff like that. Um, and so I just always knew very much, I, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And I really just started small. Uh, I was actually using my brother's uh, office uh, for about a year or two where I would just kind of see patients in his office, you know, a couple times a week and then go operate. And I didn't have a place of my own at all. And then even once I did build out, you know, my own office, you know, we kept everything small. You know, some people want to build something big and magnificent. You know, now you have this big overhead. And that's one of those things that they that they don't teach you at all. Any sort of business acumen in training. Uh, but, you know, try to just keep everything kind of lean and mean, small place, small overhead, even staff wise, kind of kept things minimal and, um, you know, let things grow as the practice grew. And I think that's probably one of the most important things um, that people could glean from at least my experience is keep things small, just get what you need. And as you grow, then, you know, then you can start building bigger things and doing bigger things and, um, you know, go from there. Yeah, I think you, you hit it on the head. I think a lot of people do get out and borrow to the hilt, be able to try to build a huge office, huge practice, you know, open a surgery center as part of their office, and all of a sudden they're underwater. And then yeah. COVID strikes, and all of a sudden everything, everything shuts down. How did COVID affect your practice? I know, you know, emergency medicine, our, and you guys had it much worse than we did. You know, yeah. our ED volume went to about 30%. How did it affect a plastics practice in the hot spot of the country? Yeah, sure. Um, it, it, it stopped it, you know, like a light switch, basically, for about 10 weeks. Um, you know, all elective surgery was essentially banned. Uh, so I couldn't do any of my cosmetic surgery. And even the breast cancer reconstruction, uh, most of that also came to a stop, too, because a lot of the reconstructive part of it was able to be kind of delayed a little bit. So for 10 weeks uh, straight, everything was off. So that was, yeah, that was scary. You know, it really was, you know, I never thought in my lifetime I would be, you know, out of work. Uh, You know, I could, uh, you know, I thought, you know, in the beginning, you know, it's going to take a little while to get things moving and, you know, things will be slow. Um, But once, you know, you're five or six years in and and things are kind of humming along, you know, to get turned out like a light switch was startling. And then there was the question you know, once we're allowed to get back to it, you know, what are, what are patients and people's appetite for cosmetic procedures going to be? You know, maybe people, you know, don't care about it anymore. Uh, luckily, they did. And actually, uh, people, uh, I would say cosmetic procedures across the board have probably increased my practice, you know, at least 50% from pre-COVID, which is, you know, a pretty big bump. It's interesting you said that. You know, I thought emergency medicine was recession-proof, and I and I always use you guys as the other side of it. I said, unlike plastic surgery, I think emergency medicine is recession-proof, but it wasn't COVID-proof. And you know, we yeah. had friends across the country being laid off in emergency departments because the patients just stopped coming in. And I have the exact same perspective you did. Now that they've realized they don't really need emergency medicine as much as they thought they did, will they come back? And, and right. they have come back. And yeah. it sounds even more interesting that they came back in droves to plastic surgery. I wonder why that is. 
Uh, you know, I think a lot of it has to do, you know, I guess a, a couple couple different factors. Uh, one, I think some people had some money uh, that they weren't spending. Now, all of a sudden, for a year, most people weren't going out to dinner, no vacations and, and this and that. So they had some uh, money around, you know, especially if they were in a job that they were able to keep. Um, and, uh, you know, Zoom meetings has definitely been a, a factor that a lot of my patients have you know, at least, um, you know, verbalized to me, uh, you know, that now all of a sudden they've been spending, you know, hours and hours a week uh, staring at themselves uh, on a computer screen, you know, probably in bad lighting. And they're like staring at different parts of their face that they're realizing they, they don't really like to look at. Uh, so th that definitely has driven the injectable part of the practice for sure. You know what? I never, that's classic. I never would have thought of that. Um, you know, I get on Zoom meetings, I look at a human Sharpay. So I'm like, okay, interesting. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not young anymore. I'm going to probably have to fly out and see you. I mean, if you can do it, I can do it. So, so changing, changing tax here a little bit. So one of the things that I had in, you know, my very ridiculous cosmetic little business, and we had a cool sculpting machine, which I thought was totally amazing. What do you see coming down the pike? in kind of the med tech thing that's going to materially change your practice? Sure. I, I think the two um, biggest things uh, right now uh, that people are really trying to get their uh, minds wrapped around as far as devices go, things that are looking a little bit more and more promising, um, and obviously as time goes by, these things just get better, um, is skin tightening, you know, non-surgical skin tightening. Right now, a lot of it is uh, radio frequency uh, RF devices, and I think they do an okay job. That is just going to get better. And then there's two products out uh, right now that that are you know trying to aim at muscle building. Uh, one of them uh, that I'm familiar with is called M Sculpt. I don't I don't have the machine, but I you know had it in the office for a little while to kind of trial, and you know it's pretty neat. And again, I think that's going to also kind of just get better and better. But basically you know, sends pulses to your muscles, have them twitch. And, you know, after a half hour session, it, it, it mimics doing, you know, 3000 sit-ups or something like that. I've actually seen that. I think on an infomercial, you put it on your abdomen, it just, it, like your, it looks like your abdomen's having a small seizure. Yeah. And then you get off and like, which is like a thousand sit-ups, which, you know, yep. 50 sit-ups have already killed me. That's yep. interesting. I'll have to look at that. Anything else coming down? Any surgical techniques that you see is that you see will be really revolutionary and how to approach certain areas. Um, you know, I think surgery is something that changes slowly. Uh, I don't think that there's anything uh, you know that's so groundbreaking that uh, is like a totally brand new way to do everything. Um, I think a lot of what I do, uh, you know, especially with breast work. You know, a lot of what I do is breast lifts, breast lift with implants, and a breast lift with implants is something that was, you know, traditionally really done in two surgeries. And where I trained uh, with a surgeon, uh, Bradley Calabrese, you know, would do it in one surgery. And he did probably more of these cases than, than maybe anybody in the world. So that's something that I really kind of took off with because I kind of really dedicated my time to, to learn how he did it and learn how to do it well. Um, so that, you know, but that's nothing new anymore. Uh, but that's something that I think was a big thing that happened, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. But a, a lot of people 
still, I think, struggle with, with getting that right. And, you know, there's other things that are always trying to be pushed, like meshes and things like that to hold the implant in place. Um, I use them, uh, you know, only as needed. Some people use it for every single surgery, uh, and we'll see how the, you know, long-term data is on, on that. But, you know, I think surgical procedures are things that are kind of slow to change, uh, just because a, a lot of the techniques are, are there. Uh, it's just, you know, a matter of being able to master them. One of the things I noticed about you, John, is that you've really leveraged your social media. How did you, and this will be the advice part of the show, how, because other physicians will listen to this and say, you know, I want to do what this guy did. How do you leverage, or how did you leverage your social media? Because, I mean, you get over a million views on Instagram. How, how did you pull that off? First things first is to have results that people are going to like to look at. Uh, as a surgeon, you, you really have to be able to hone your craft and uh, have good results and make sure that they're reproducible because that's that's everything. So once you're able to do that, then you know a platform like Instagram is really perfect uh, because it's very visual. Uh, people kind of just scroll on there mindlessly, come across your your page, and and really um, you know it's it's something that once they quote unquote follow you. It's a, a form of advertising that follows them, you know, every day, you know, pops up on their screen and, and they're happy to look. That's why they followed you. Um, I would say the, the biggest boost I got initially was uh, actually when I uh, or after I operated on uh, Nicole uh, or Snooki, you know, she had mentioned to me that uh, she was going to do a YouTube uh, thing on her channel and, and give me a shout out on Instagram. And I thought to myself, oh, dang, I, I really got to tighten up my Instagram. <laughs> you know, she's got 10 million followers. This could really help. Uh, and it did. It gave me a boost, you know, right away. And, uh, you know, I think it got people um, talking and looking and, you know, then it had somewhere, you know, I had some place for people to, to look me up. Uh, so I, I did dedicate uh, some time kind of hiring somebody who who just helped make the page look clean and look nice and get the appropriate hashtags. So, you know, I think spending a little bit of money uh, on advertising, both social media advertising, uh, getting your page to look nice, um, and, uh, you know, other forms of advertising is important at first. You know, traditionally doctors would never advertise. It was looked so down upon if somebody had an ad out in the paper uh, for their practice. Right. Everything had to be word or mouth. And, you know, that takes 15 years, you know, for enough people to hear about you to get a, to get a, a practice moving. Um, so, but, you know, luckily in, in our day and age today, it's, it's not really so frowned upon, but, um, so, you know, just, just trying to get out there, get your name and your practice in front of as many eyes as possible. You know, the social media thing too is something where it's important to kind of, you know, show your personality a little bit, even though I'm not on the screen a lot, I, I, I don't really kind of get in front of the camera myself. Uh, people are able to see, you know, my day-to-day -day life, the things that are important to me. I, you know, I cook a lot, I garden, I like music, you know, so they get, they get a sense of who you are um, and they like to follow, follow along. It's almost like their own personal, you know, reality TV channel into, into your life and, and people are interested. So, you know, I show it to them and uh, I, I think it, it, it gets people, you know, excited to kind of follow along. That's really, that's uh, 
that's actually great advice, and I think um, you'll you'll see a lot more people starting to do that now when they hear it from someone like you. John, this has been really this has been awesome. Where can people find out more about you? Um, so I, you know, I think the best place to find me is on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Tutela PS for plastic surgery. Um, you know, my website uh, tutelaplasticsurgery.com is another good place. But uh, you know, I'm pretty easy to find, and uh, you know, I, I'd be happy to talk to anybody about anything. It's been wonderful to talk to you, and uh, you know, I thank you uh, so much for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to Entrepreneur RX with Dr. John Schufelt. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. This has been a presentation of Forbes Books.